0: It's great to have you join us, whether you're here in Fredericton or whether you are further afield. So good to be able to communicate and talk to you this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Philippians, uh, the letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Philippi uh, from when he was actually in prison, probably in Rome. Um, uh, And as we've seen, even though he was in prison, it's a letter which is full of joy and of hope and of gospel life Paul's been talking previously about what could possibly happen to him he didn't know what the future would hold Um, would he end up dying in that prison or would he end up being released uh, and being able to go and plant more churches strengthen existing churches that he'd already started Um, for Paul it was a win-win situation he said to live is Christ He knew that the gospel would be proclaimed and more people would come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ if he was released. But he said to die is gain. He knew that there was a great reward for him himself when he died and that he would be with Christ. He didn't really know for certain which it would be, but he had a sneaky suspicion that he was going to continue to live. And history tells us that if indeed he was in prison in Rome, that's exactly what he did. So Paul himself was at peace with the situation but clearly the Philippians were concerned for him and now he wants to encourage them. So we're going to read on from chapter one of the book of Philippians, we're going to read from verse 27. It says this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, so the first thing that Paul says to the Philippians is this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whether Paul lives or whether he dies, it should make no difference to how the Philippians live out their faith in Christ. These last few months have shown us just how uncertain things can be, how difficult it is to predict what's going to happen in the future. I saw a Facebook post this week which said everyone who set out their five-year plan in 2015 was wrong. No one expected us to be in the middle of a global pandemic with lockdowns happening all over the world and that's on a mass scale but it happens to us all individually as well life takes twists and turns that we can't predict our lives can change forever in just an instant and that uncertainty has the potential to unsettle us all to make us fearful to cause us great anxiety and it can cause us to make us very cautious as well and protective of ourselves and of our families Paul is speaking to our uncertainty in this letter just as much as he was speaking to the uncertainty that the Philippians had uh, when he was writing. We've got much to learn from him, so let's, let's look at what he says. Whatever happens, we're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, we'll look at what that means in a moment, but before we look at what it means, let's look at Paul's reasoning. Let's look at his why we're to do this if we don't understand why he's saying it then it'll be much harder for us to follow through and live it out in our lives because we're much more likely to be affected by the circumstances that are going on around us we see in verse 29 Paul's why he says this it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle I had and now here that I still have. You see, it wasn't only Paul that was struggling. The Philippians were struggling too. There was opposition and there was persecution towards the early church. Christians certainly weren't universally loved. To be a Christian and to live out that faith meant that you were exposing yourself to a lot of danger. So, of course, the temptation is to lay low, to hide yourself away, to protect yourself and your family, not to raise your head above the parapet, not to cause a stir, not to draw attention to yourself. We can think similarly when it comes to our family and our friends and our our work colleagues. and and related to our faith we don't want to be badly thought about we certainly don't want to feel that we're likely to be attacked by any of those people verbally uh, or potentially even lose our jobs or our friendships over what we believe so paul explains to us in this verse that suffering goes hand in hand with believing in christ we've been granted both of those it's all part of the deal together we can't have one without the other and the way he says it shows it's not even a negative thing he says it's something that we can see as a as a privilege as an honor look at what he says it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but to suffer for him as well God says do you know what I'm going to allow you to suffer for Christ I'm going to give you that privilege And we might say, okay, thanks God. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure that was what I was looking for. Why is that a privilege? But it is. Because God is allowing us to walk in the steps of Jesus, who suffered and died for the sake of others. And for our sake, that we might receive forgiveness and be reunited in a wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father but we don't see this kind of thinking only here we see it all the way through the new testament jesus says in the sermon on the mount and here i'm quoting from matthew 5 and verse 11 he says blessed or happy are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you we can struggle with verses like that but Paul but Jesus is saying it's something which is good and we can rejoice over look at what Paul says later on in this letter to the Philippians he says I want to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and then he goes on and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead and we might be thinking well we're good with with the power of the resurrection and knowing that we're good with all of the positive that we're good with the filling of the holy spirit we're great we want to know great miracles and gifts being given to us we want to know joy and peace but i'm not really sure about the participation in his sufferings part But rather than participate in his sufferings, we'd rather know happiness and a, a comfortable life. The first part is on offer to all of us, but the last is actually more the American dream than the gospel. The American dream of life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. That's not what the gospel is saying to us. Suffering for Christ is a great privilege. I've met a number of people who seem to suffer more than most as as a Christian and sometimes they ask the question is this a sign that God doesn't love me why do these things keep happening to me well they kept happening to Paul verse 30 shows us that the Philippians had seen the struggles that he was going through and Paul's saying and now you're hearing I'm still going through these things The struggles that Paul had when he was with them are the same struggles that he has now. God hadn't taken those things away. And according to the Bible, these things are signs, not that God doesn't love you, but that God does love you. It's a sign that God had granted the privilege of us following in the footsteps of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. There's going to be a great reward to come. And there'll be great gospel advance coming as people see Christ even in them through their suffering and even death. In 1555 in England, Nicholas Ridley, a bishop, was burned at the stake along with Hugh Latimer for his faith. And Ridley was in in a great deal of pain as the fire was burning beneath him. And Latimer turned to him and in a very English way, said, be of good comfort and play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust will never be put out. There have been many who've suffered persecution for Christ or been martyred for his name's sake throughout the last 2,000 years, and those martyrdoms are still going on today, and the church has been made all the more strong for it. So Paul's wanting to stress to the Philippians that the things that they're struggling with are the very things that unite them with him in his struggles and unite them with Christ in what he went through as well. So the question is, how are they, the Philippians, and how are we to live in the light of that and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? What does that mean? Well, the main thing is that we should be those who remind others of Jesus in how we live and in how we treat others, in how we come across to people. So often Christians come across to others as those who are always against things or against people. And of course we know God and we know his heart for the world. We know how God intends for life to be lived Um, and we know that's not what we see when we look out at society and see what's going on. The danger is we can end up just telling people how they should live their lives. People who don't know Jesus, that they're living the wrong way, that they need to shape up. But the people who did that in the New Testament were the Pharisees. And Christians can come across as modern day Pharisees to people. We can be seen as those who are setting ourselves up as better than anyone else. are so telling them that they need to change and live in a different way but Jesus had some very strong words to say about the Pharisees and to them and that's not how Jesus related to people. Just before everything got shut down um, a few months ago I went with my family to the United States to Florida and we stayed in an Airbnb um, which was uh, the house of a lady called Sheena and uh, we had some conversations with Sheena and very early on she asked uh, what I did as a job. And I told her that I was a pastor of a church. And when I told her that, her face kind of fell and she said, oh, right. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation uh, for that day. And during the rest of the week, we had lots of conversations about different things with Sheena. I didn't go near the topic of God or Christianity or church at all. Uh, And then one day, right towards the end of the vacation, uh, she said to me, you know, you don't really seem like the Christians that I know. What is it that you're against? How sad that Christians can know be known for what we are against. In the Bible, we don't see any examples of where we're encouraged to be against anything. There are no examples in the Bible of prayer against anything. There's not even examples of praying against sickness. Instead, we're encouraged to pray for healing. We're not to pray for our lead, pray against our leaders that we don't like. The Bible tells us pray for our leaders. We aren't to pray against those or speak against those who are living in lives which are out of line with God's holiness. Instead, we're supposed to pray for them and show them God's mercy and peace and love. Jesus said love your enemies pray for those who persecute you and we can say oh oh yeah okay but what about places like Sodom and Gomorrah God came and he destroyed them because of their sin and tragically you hear of Christians proclaiming and calling for destruction and judgment against people who are living such lifestyles um, as were happening there but but what did Abraham do when he heard that Sodom was going to be destroyed he prayed and he pleaded with God that it be spared he didn't pray against it he prayed for it and he called out to God similarly God sent Jonah to Nineveh to proclaim judgment upon it God does care about sin and Jonah didn't want to do that and famously he ran away from God and God eventually got him back via a whale or a fish to uh, Nineveh Um, but later on in the story we see why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. God pretty much forces his hand. Jonah does go and proclaim judgment, the city repents but then Jonah's angry and Jonah says this, he says I knew this would happen I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So better that I die now. Jonah's upset, but he's upset because he wanted the city to be destroyed. But he knew that wasn't what God wanted. God wanted them to repent. He wanted, them to, show, he wanted to show them mercy and grace. And so after the prophets, God sent Jesus, his own son, the gospel incarnate. And Jesus was brutally beaten, treated so badly, hung on a tree on a cross to die. And as he hung there, he prayed that God would forgive those who put him there. So how do we conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? By being like Christ. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He came alongside them and he showed them his love and his grace and his mercy. And as he did that and as he interacted with them and showed them that love it caused their lives to be radically changed. Zacchaeus was called down from the tree, a tax collector who used to cheat people and he was asked by Jesus come host me for a meal a sign of friendship a sign of affection and acceptance and as Jesus spent time with Zacchaeus Zacchaeus changed his ways he wouldn't have done that if Jesus had just told him what a terrible person he was too often as Christians we can spend our time doing that and too often we can spend our time asserting what our rights are we live in a society we've been in a society where lots of privileges have been given to us over the years as christians but but those privileges are starting to be taken away now and maybe we've come to see them as rights no doubt they'll continue to be taken away is this our course to take up to a certain campaign for our rights no we are blessed by god beyond all measure We have riches greater than we could ever know, an eternal inheritance. Instead of that, we're to be those who don't take advantage of the rights that we do have. We're kind of skipping a few verses ahead now, but Paul is about to tell us that we should be like Jesus, who even though he was in very nature God, it says, did not count that as something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus had all the rights and privileges that he could have because he was God. But he didn't take it and use it for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing. We'll look at that in a few verses time. Of course, that doesn't mean as Christians we shouldn't get involved in working for justice in our democratic society. We're able to do that. We should be involved in these kind of things. Standing up for those who have no voice, relieving oppression, bringing about peace and alleviating suffering. But we're to be cha- those who champion the rights of others, not our own rights. Our conduct is to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? The gospel recognises, yeah, people are simple, But they're born that way. They're slaves to sin. They can't do anything about it. So what do we do? We do the same as Jesus did. We befriend people. We show them love. And grace. We bring healing in Jesus' name. We bring them the good news of the gospel of grace that there's freedom from sin, that there's freedom from guilt and shame, that there's a new life on offer for us, one that can deal with our old way of life that's done away with through the waters of baptism, that there's a new way to live differently, the way that we always wanted to live but were never able to do that there's a filling of the Holy Spirit that comes, which brings us power to live differently, which brings us peace in our hearts, and that we can have an assurance that we are deeply, deeply loved by the God who created us. That's some of how we conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then very briefly, how do we do that practically? Well, what does Paul say here? He says we do it by standing firm in one spirit, not being shaken by life's events, not being shaken by circumstances, whether Paul lives or dies, not being shaken by whether we get sick or are healthy, whether COVID-19 gets defeated or whether it doesn't, whether we can meet together or whether we're in lockdown. When the storms come, we'll find that we're standing on solid ground, on solid rock if we build our lives on Jesus Christ and live out his commands. But it's not just a standing on our own we see as we look at this passage. There's a togetherness in it. There's a unity in it. Paul says striving together as one for the gospel of faith. Right now we have to work pretty hard at the togetherness aspect because we've been physically separate from each other for some time now. But let's remember that Paul was separate from the Philippians and yet he was able to talk about his partnership with them in the gospel, right, in the first few verses. It's important that we don't isolate ourselves from the church community at this time. It's easy to do. We can get used to our own company, our family. It can seem appealing for things to stay like that. We can begin to believe that we don't really need each other. The writer to the Hebrews said, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And he said it to the Hebrews who were in a time of great danger, persecution and threat of death. They had every excuse not to gather together. It's a striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's not some kind of passive unity it's not a kind of saying oh okay i'm i'm good with you doing that yeah yeah i agree with the way that the church is going we're not seeking after just consent or approval there's a sense here of what paul's saying of everyone putting their hand to something working towards it everyone being involved striving together lots of people want to give their input and opinion paul isn't interested in that he's interested in people getting stuck in and so are we. It's always great to have fresh perspectives, fresh ideas about things. I love to be provoked by people who are committed to building uh, Christ's church here in Fredericton, but the main thing is joining together with people who are fully committed to bringing the gifts that they've received from God, whatever they are, and joining together, striving together to build the church. We're completely having to reshape uh, how the church operates in this time of COVID-19. We certainly didn't plan it this way. Much more of our meeting together is happening online through our Zoom online small groups. But we're not shaken, and we want to be encourage everyone to be part of Christ Central. Who is part of Christ Central to join us, to use your gifts and strive together for the gospel. What is it we're striving for? It's we're striving as one for the faith of the gospel without fear. It's the gospel that unites us and as we'll see next time, the gospel isn't about exalting ourselves, getting noticed, having profile. The gospel is about humbling ourselves and exalting Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, in these uncertain times, let's apply these verses from Paul's letters and to our church. Let's conduct ourselves in a manner Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's stand firm in the Spirit. Let's strive together, being one in faith. Let's build God's church and see His kingdom advance as we all do this together in Jesus' name. Let's not shrink back in fear when we're opposed. It's a sign of our salvation and an assurance of God's love for us. I want to end this message by reading a poem which I first heard almost 30 years ago when I became a Christian. It was written in the 80s, so it's not gender neutral. It's got some humour in it, but it's also got a very powerful message in it as well. It helps shape a lot of my thinking about the sort of Christian that I wanted to be, and I hope it does with you too. And it's called When I Became a Christian, and it's written by Adrian Plass. This is what it says. When I became a Christian, I said, God, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think amen, amen, I think, I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. "'Well, yeah, that sounds terrific, Lord. "'I say amen, I think. "'But, Lord, there must be other ways to follow you,' I said. "'I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed.' "'Well, yes,' he said. "'You could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. "'Do you still want to follow me?' "'I said, amen. "'A bit. "'A bit, amen. "'Amen, a bit. "'A bit, I say, amen.' I'm not entirely sure. Can you run through that again? You say that I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit? Well, yes, I've made my mind up and I say amen. A bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said amen. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can I run through that again? You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yeah, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, Look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen, I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said, I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then, and think about my son, and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need, and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those who no one wants to know? Man enough to say the things that no one wants to hear? To battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end? The moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? man enough to love the world and turn it upside down are you man enough to follow me I ask you once again I said oh Lord I'm frightened but I also said amen 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 I said oh Lord I'm frightened but I also said amen God bless you